Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMV Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. That's incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks for uh, tuning in again this weekend. If you're a returning listener, if you are a newcomer to the program, well, welcome to you as well. And uh, I'm uh, curious how you maybe stumbled across the Pipeline Show. If it was recommended to you by someone, that would be great to know. Or if you just found it uh, as you were searching for a podcast, a new podcast to listen to, uh, that would be great to know as well. Maybe you saw it on Twitter or something like that. Uh, Let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore gee and um, maybe one day I'll make that the poll question of the week but uh, this week the question of the week is uh, who is your favorite to be the Hobie Baker winner this year as the NCAA college hockey season gets going in uh, full force this weekend I put it out on Twitter uh, yesterday that question a number of people have uh, replied already Uh, Ryan Wagman from McKean's he's uh, put out Alex Turcotte as uh, his choice, and uh, that surprised me. You don't see freshmen win it all that often. He does remind me Jack Eichel won it uh, not that long ago. Taco Tavares says Scott Perunovic, Hobie Baker win to go along with a three-peat as a UMD looking to be uh, national champs for the third consecutive year. Uh, My friend Andrew Peard, who uh, does uh, Oil King Games, uh, lists every player that ever played for the White Court Wolverines who are now uh, playing Division One hockey. He used to call games for the Wolverines, so uh, the homer pick there for sure. Dustin Braxma from uh, HockeyProspect.com, he uh, puts out the name Ian Mitchell of the Denver Pioneers, and uh, I told him I got a name, uh, a short list of uh, four Canadians. I actually extended it to five, but I have a five-man short list of all Canadians uh, who I think are uh, legitimate contenders for the Hobie Baker this year. Uh, Tommy, who's over in Sweden and listening to the show, appreciate that, Tommy. He says, uh, obviously super early, but I always like Jack Dugan, He and he's off to a great start. So Jack Dugan is my early prediction for the Hobie Baker Award. He plays for Providence College. David, he nominates Colton Poolman uh, at UND, says hands down the best defenseman on a team being overlooked. Pat goes with another UND defenseman, but he says they're uh, going to make a bold pick. I think he's going to have a monster year. And that's Jacob Bernard Docker. So you can let me know who you think uh, is in the running for the Hobie Baker this year. And uh, for the record, I did post my uh, list of uh, five Canadians. I said Ian Mitchell from Denver, Wade Allison from Western Michigan, uh, Brinson Pashnuk from uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils, 
and goaltender Matt Galida of Cornell. He was on the uh, he was a finalist for the Hobie Baker uh, two seasons ago, and now as a senior, uh, I think he'd be in the running there. All of the guys I just mentioned are seniors, except for Ian Mitchell. He's a junior. And then I was listening to uh, Nate Ewell and um, Brad Elliott Schlossman on uh, their podcast at College Hockey Inc. And they reminded me about uh, Morgan Barron at Cornell. And of course, Morgan Barron, I think, would be a legit uh, candidate as well. So my my five man list now has two players just from Cornell. So let me know if uh, if if you think there's a Canadian that I missed, or if uh, you've got uh, somebody else in mind. Uh, and you should check out that uh, that podcast that uh, Brad and Nate uh, put together for College Hockey Inc. Nice season preview there, and they go through every conference uh, with a list of Hobie Baker uh, candidates uh, from each conference. Let's get to some news and notes, and uh, I'll tell you in the uh, WHL. Actually, maybe we'll start with the CHL uh, Top 10. Now, the CHL Top 10 comes out on uh, Wednesdays, so this will be uh, going into this weekend's play. Uh, here is how the uh, Top 10 looks now. The Oshawa Generals, who are off to a, a 7-0 and start, at least as of Wednesday, they are they vault up from the 7th spot all the way to number 1. They are now the number 1 ranked team uh, in the country. Shakutami. Stays at number two. Sherbrooke stays at number three. Cape Breton moves from five to now number four on the poll. The Calgary Hitmen, well, here's uh, they're coming from being not ranked last week, now sitting in the number five spot, also followed by the PA Raiders, the Prince Albert Raiders, who were also not ranked last week. Speaking of that, Charlottetown, not ranked last week. Now they're seventh in the top ten. The London Knights stay at eight. The Edmonton Oil Kings stay at nine. And the Ottawa 67s, they dropped from number 1 to number 10 on the top 10 list. So uh, one bad week uh, can really knock you down the standings, that's for sure. Speaking of the WHL, uh, the uh, leading scorer is Bryce Kindop, leading the dub in scoring right now with 14 points going into uh, the weekend's play. Alexi Protus of uh, Prince Albert and Riley Sawcheck of the Edmonton Oil Kings are next with 11 points each. David Tendek still with the Vancouver Giants, and it looks like that's the way they're going to go this year as they uh, moved a different player last week. And this time last week, we were being told it looks like Vancouver is about to uh, make a deal to uh, settle their overage situation. I said, well, I guess the Tendek watch is on because I didn't think they would uh, go another season with uh, with both Tendek and uh, Trent Minor. But in fact, that's the way uh, it, it does appear it's going to play out, at least for now. Tendak right now leading the WHL with a 1.0 goals against average and a 961 save percentage, uh, having a really strong year, uh, again, for the Vancouver Giants. Top scorer in the Ontario Hockey League is uh, Quinton Byfield, who was on the show last week. He's got 16 points. He's followed by uh, closely by Nick Robertson of uh, Peterborough and Phil Tomasino of the Niagara Ice Dogs, uh, both with 15 points uh, coming into this weekend's play. So he's got some... Uh, competition right hot on his heels brett brochu is the top netminder right now with a uh, at least in goals against average with a buck 67 nico dawes of the guelph storm next with a 192 and hunter jones of the peets at 2.20 nico dawes of the guelph storm has the uh, top save percentage at 944 and brochu is uh, right behind him at 934 and heading uh, out east in the quebec major junior hockey league alexi lafreniere has a 19 points. He leads the entire Canadian Hockey League in scoring. Cedric Paré has 16 points, and Igor Sokolov also with 16 points. He plays for Cape Breton. And the top goalie right 
right now, at least uh, statistically, is Antoine uh, Coulomb of uh, Shawinigan with a 157 goals against average and a 947 save percentage. Matthew Welsh is a second in both categories as well. Colton Ellis is third in terms of goals against average. So that's what's happening in the CHL. In the CJHL, the top 20 uh, comes out uh, every week as well. The Penticton Vs right now of the BCHL are the number one ranked team in the CJHL, followed by the Brooks Bandits, who move from three to two. Portage goes from six to number three this week. That's the Portage Terriers in uh, Manitoba. The Red Lake Miners out of the SIJHL, they go from eight to four. Battleford's in Saskatchewan. The North Stars uh, slip one spot from four to five. Some great names in the, in the CJHL. The Powassan Voodoos in Northern Ontario, they uh, jump from 11 to six now. Uh, Sherwood Park, they slip from two to seven, still in the top 10. The Braves de Valley Field in uh, Quebec, they hold steady at number eight. The Edmonston Blizzard in uh, the uh, Maritime Hockey League, they were an honorable mention last week. They are now number nine, and the South Shore Lumberjacks from the same league, they slip, actually they go up from uh, the number 12 spot to uh, 10. Rounding out the uh, the top 20, you got Swan Valley, uh, followed by Carlton Place. Oakville is 13th. Timmins, Princeville in Quebec, the uh, Blind River Beavers in the Northern uh, uh, Ontario Junior Hockey League are 16. Burlington is a 17. Spruce Grove Saints uh, slipped from 13 all the way down to 18. Uh, Long Gill in, uh, followed by the Coquitlam Express of the BCHL rounding out the top 20. Canada West action gets going again this weekend. Uh, a few teams were south of the border playing NCAA opponents uh, last week, but they get back at it. This week with the conference play, Manitoba will take on Mount Royal. Regina is in Lethbridge. The University of Alberta hosting the Saskatchewan Huskies, a big rivalry there. That's down at Claire Drake. And the Calgary Dinos welcome UBC. You go back to opening weekend, Alberta, Calgary, and Mount Royal all 2-0. Lethbridge and Manitoba split, which means UBC, Regina, and Saskatchewan all looking for their first wins still in this very early season. And lastly, the NCAA schedule this weekend. Uh, there's as college hockey gets going, you got the icebreaker kicking things off. Western Michigan against Ohio State. That'll be a great game. RIT also playing Bowling Green in the uh, icebreaker. The two winning teams from that. Those games will uh, meet tomorrow. Meanwhile, some of the other uh, non-conference games that uh, are certainly marquee ones to watch for this weekend. I think you have to start with Wisconsin at Boston College. Both of those teams expected to be strong this year. Arizona State is at Minnesota State this weekend. Both of those teams expected to be in the top 20 at the end of the year and uh, potentially both in the national tournament. The defending champion uh, Bulldogs from from the University of Minnesota, Duluth, uh, they are hosting uh, the uh, Riverhawks from uh, Massachusetts Lowell. Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, are at Colorado College. North Dakota welcomes Canisius, and uh, Denver is on the road. They're playing at Lake Superior. All right, let's get to what's coming down the pipe on the show today. We're going to start it off with our CHL Insider segment for the store next door that's out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities and uh, taking your broken hockey sticks and all the broken hockey sticks that they can get their hands on. And they uh, turn that scrap into some really cool uh, hockey-themed products that you can check out at their website, thestorenextdoor.ca. Look at their catalog. They'll ship it to you and uh, some really cool stuff there that I recommend you check out. 
The CHL insider is the voice of the Flint Firebirds. That's Dominic Hennig. He's going to be my guest to uh, kick off the show today. The uh, Firebirds off to a pretty respectable start this year. From there, we'll go with our NCAA campus report for College Hockey Inc. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is going to preview a Hockey East this year for us. We're going to turn on the 2020 Draft Spotlight, currently unsponsored, by the way. If uh, anybody wants to jump on that, you can uh, get a hold of me through Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Uh, for that segment, we're going to go to the Portland Winterhawks and Seth Jarvis, given a B rating this week by NHL Central Scouting. And he's going to be on the show today. You'll get to know him. And we'll close things out with a, uh, a chat with Mike Sarant. He is the longtime coach going into his 25th year now uh, behind the bench for the University of Manitoba Bisons as uh, Canada West play gets going again this weekend in U Sports. So a full show. We're going to kick it off with our CHL insider, Dominic Hennig, the voice of the Flint Firebirds. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. Johnson stripped by Delandrio, backhander, he scores! Short-handed goal for the rookie, Ty Delandria. It's 1-0 Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint Firebirds, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Some people like to make all the rules and tell others what to do. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. We're going to uh, spend some time in the Ontario Hockey League uh, in a second. Uh, my CHL Insider segment. And uh, that is brought to you by the thestorenextdoor.ca. Out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, they are collecting all the broken hockey sticks they can get their hands on and transforming that junk into some really cool products like park benches and uh, deck chairs and uh, tables and uh, picture frames, anything you want to do. But uh, they got some great puck racks and stuff like that too. If you're a collector of hockey pucks and you want to display them, uh, check out the thestorenextdoor.ca. Uh, employing people with disabilities and uh, helping them earn a paycheck. A great way to link up with their community in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. My CHL insider today is the voice of the Flint Firebirds. That's Dominic Hedig. How are you today, Dominic? Never been better, Guy. How are you? I'm doing terrific, uh, uh, but not as good as the uh, the Firebirds are to start this season. I already set a, a record four win uh, four game win streak for the franchise. So I know the, the team's coming off a loss, but uh, the feeling's got to be pretty positive right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously there there hasn't been much to write home about in the in the past couple of years since the Firebirds became a franchise with the Plymouth Whalers moving to uh, Flint, Michigan. But 
uh, as you know, uh, probably more than the most, uh, the, the Canadian Hockey League major junior is very cyclical. You know, mm-hmm. when you're bad, you then become good. When you're good, uh, you know, it's time for, for that rebuild year. And so it was only a matter of time, and that time is now for Flint. Um, and, yes, they did set a franchise record for consecutive wins, and a few people or a few of your listeners might be saying, well, wow, only four. Yeah, that is the case, but um, you know, this club has won three games in a row ten times since 2015 never could make that jump to the fourth all the time you hear you know coaches and and staff members say well hey this is our year we're going to be good this year you never hear a team say oh we're not going to do good this year and that's kind of our way to show hey you know we're serious things have changed things are well in flint things are good um and this sort of this organization's in the right direction so yep starting the season uh four and one was it was it was off to a good start and and obviously you know in this league that's tough to do and the firebirds have accomplished it is there a bit of a different air around the team this year where it's, you know, put all the, the bad headlines are now well in the rearview mirror and you can just focus on hockey? I feel that way, but I'm the media guy. So you know, obviously people are going to think I'm biased, but I did do six years of NCAA Division One with Ferris State when, when they made their run to the Frozen Four in the National Championship game in 2012. And then obviously, you know, uh, have been a part of, of building this franchise, relocating it from Plymouth to Flint and, Everything from the jerseys to the colors to the logos to the team name and, uh, and, and everything in between the social media and the website. So I've seen both, both sides of, uh, of the spectrum and, and I would honestly say that the players in Flint are treated like royalty and, and it all comes down from, you know, leaving day before to, to, to games when a lot of teams come day up to us. It all comes down to, um, you know, the apparel packages, winter jackets, running shoes, backpacks, you know, duffel bags and, and, you know, all, all the way to the type of meals we ate. I think in the past, you know, we were eating at Eastside Mario's and now we're, we're catering pre-game meal, post-game meal and even breakfast to hotel conference rooms and stuff like that. So the, the Firebirds organization has, in my opinion, become one of the greatest places to play in terms of amenities, luxuries and the way treatment. Uh, has given these guys and, and even just go further um, you know our equipment manager is next to the best in, in all of the Canadian Hockey League where he's the type of guy who packs up all the gear goes ahead of the team in a U-Haul truck and sets it all up so our players come off the bus they don't even touch their gear they have carpets in front of each stall a nameplate all their gear is set up and you know we have a full-time head equipment manager, manager and assistant equipment manager and so we're hoping all that stuff translates on a success here and right now you're kind of seeing it play yeah. out. So far, so good, and and some guys, some of the marquee names on the team, and they're homegrown guys. So I think there are what four players who uh, are tied to NHL teams right now, drafted by NHL teams, and they're all. I know uh, Coley Ochanek wasn't drafted by Flint, but came over really early last year, so it certainly feels like a, a homegrown guy. But um, to have you know uh, the, the other four players, and Ty Delandria, obviously uh, being a, a Dallas Stars pick, and Ethan Keppen now. With the uh, the Vancouver Canucks uh, connection and, and Dennis Busby, there is some recognizable names for people for just casual NHL fans who might not be huge junior hockey fans. You look at the Flint roster and you're recognizing talent now. Yeah, you're right. This club now in their fifth year is starting to build the history, you know. And and I, when Delandria and Busby were drafted last June, in June of 2018, they were the first two to be Flint Firebird specific players, no longer Plymouth Whalers. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a special moment for our franchise. And then on top of that, Delandria was drafted to Dallas in the first round 
and the draft was in Dallas. It was Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan up on the on the podium announcing that pick, and all eyes in the hockey world were there. So when you hear from Flint and the OHL, that's huge. Well, likewise, again this year, uh, Ethan Keppen was drafted to Vancouver, and the draft was in Vancouver this year. So, um, you know, I think that uh, paired with, you know, we've had some uh, some other big stories like our, um, you know, local firefighter Rico Phillips just won the award at the uh, the Willie O'Ree Award at, at the uh, NHL Awards in Vegas, and um, that was played on global television, right? And and the Flint Firebirds logo was all over that. And he's from Flint, Michigan, so. I think it's becoming a point where the Flint Firebirds brand is starting to, um, you know, take on a, a much larger role than maybe, you know, we even think locally here and all in positive reasons not moving forward. Who, who's the guy that gets drafted by Montreal this year then with the draft being in Montreal? Oh, in Montreal. <laughs> well, we have two names up uh, for the draft. Evan Veerling is one of them. Michael Bianconi is another. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Jack Harper. Uh, as well, who was a player that we drafted in 2018 as a defenseman in the seventh round, uh, and we just signed him this past August. And and he's you know he's quiet, street, sneaky, good, and I like what he does away from the puck and whatnot. So Veerling, being Coney, Harper, or a couple of names, a few, maybe Harper goes to Montreal, or maybe it's Evan Veerling. <laughs> That's funny though. That's a good one. All right. Well, I imagine I'll get both of those guys on the show at some point uh, over the course of this season. Um, tell me about Ty Delandry and just so, how how he's sort of evolved as a player. I know it seemed like I remember when I had him on the show a couple of years ago in his draft year, already oozed leadership qualities and, and that kind of mentality that he wanted to be, you know, a, a catalyst for change for that organization. I imagine two years later, it's even more so for him. I'm guessing. 100%. And, and he is a city wide favorite. Uh, just, you could just tell with opening night. Um, you know, he's been gone for quite some time with the American League's Texas Stars at the end of the year. And then, you know, he was up with the Dallas Stars playing preseason games this year. He came back just in time for opening night. And each player got their, you know, um, ovation, you know, for the introductions. And, and I was curious to see, you know, who, who some of the bigger uh, uh, applauses would, would go to. And now when Ty Delandria was announced, I mean, the, the roof almost came off. And I just said, yeah, okay, this city gets it. They get um, you know, they're, they're, they're franchise players or they, they understand, you know, uh, the game of hockey, I guess, if, if that makes sense. So you're right. Uh, he, he has, he has, you know, taken on a leadership role here in terms of changing things. He said it when he was drafted in 2016 in the O, uh, that, you know, I want to be a part of the change. And so he has been a part and, and he's been able to see that, um, through. And then he's, he said it to me a few times this year, like, wow, like we actually did it. You know, like things are different here. You could feel it now. And, and he's right. And, also, I mentioned how I broadcasted NCAA games at Ferris State for six seasons. Well, that's, you know, essentially grown men at that point in time. Coming to the OHL, Ty Delandria was kind of the first player that I got to watch grow from a 16-year-old boy into, you know, now a 19, 20-year-old man kind of. And he's completely changed from his facial, you know, structured exp- and expre- expressions, the way he talks, the way he interviews, the way he handles fans. I mean, it really is was the first time that I got to watch a player, you know, kind of grow into a pro, and it's pretty special. And so I'll always, I'll always, you know, remember that about Ty. You know, hopefully that I have a long broadcasting career. He'll be one of the first that I got to see that change at the junior level. One of those things uh, with junior hockey, eh? Uh, Movember, and you see the sixteen-year-olds who can't uh, can't really contribute much to Movember. Yeah. And- 
by the end of it, they they look like Grizzly Adams and stuff. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, Vlad Kolyachanak uh, taken in the second round last uh, last June by the Florida Panthers and signed already. That says something to me about uh, what the the Panthers have uh, uh, the way they feel about what they have with uh, Kolyachanak. For those who haven't had a chance to watch him play, and I know I, I want, the only time I got to see him in person was at the Top Prospect game last year in Red Deer, which is where I uh, interviewed him, but. Um, for for those who haven't had a chance to watch him play, why is this guy somebody that Florida felt the need to sign within three months of drafting him? Well, Vlad comes to Flint from Minsk, Belarus, the capital of Belarus, so half a global way it seems like. And Vlad is that type of player who eat, breathes, sleeps, dreams hockey. He's the type of player who's first one there to the rink every day. He's the last one to leave. He's first on the ice for you know an hour in advance. When the, when the team's off the ice for practice, you got to drag him off the ice. I'll never forget he came uh, just in, in August, right before he went to the, the, so the Panthers training camp, and, and he asked for ice. And our main ice was down in our main building, and we have a we're fortunate to have a practice facility. And, and for the first time in years, that ice was down, and he was literally begging, "Well, where can I find ice? Can you help me?" And we worked out a deal with her, another local place in town and got him on ice there, and he'd be there two, three hours by himself, stick handling, shooting pucks and whatnot. So this is the type of player who hockey is everything and anything for him. It's also another first for me that I got to watch. I get, you know, I get, this is the first time I've got to see someone who was that into the game of hockey where he never wants to get off the ice. And that's why it's not a surprise to me that he was signed by Florida right out of, you know, his first training camp, you know, after being drafted this past June. So, um, happy for him, um, and, and, and happy for, um, you know, uh, what he's able to bring to this hockey game. I can't wait to watch him have a long, you know, standing you know, tradition in the National Hockey League. The other import player for the Firebirds this year is uh, leading the team in scoring right now. I'm going to butcher the name, so I'll say that uh, right up front, but is it close <laughs> to being Evgeny Oksentyuk? Oh, you're right on, 100%. Oh, nice all right, work. perfect. Tell me about him as a player, because all I can see is five foot seven, 157 pounds, and eight points in five games. Another Belarusian for the Firebirds. Uh, so we went with both Belarus players for our two import players. And boy, has he been fun to watch. You're right. He's a shorter player. He's five foot seven, but he's one of those fireball type players. He'll go to corners. He'll hit a six foot guy and, and not back down. And then on top of that, highly, highly skilled. He finds a way to poke, to, to make scoring chances himself. He pokes pucks away from defensemen in the defensive zone. It creates his own breakaways. He creates his own opportunities in the game. And, and a lot of times he capitalizes as well. On opening night, our building seats 4,000. We had 3,800 through the door near sellout, you know, and that's that's pretty good if in a Michigan market during you know college football season when the when the University of Michigan pulled 110,000 people and Michigan State pulled 70,000 people, you know, both just an hour away. Um, so for us to to get those numbers was nice. And two minutes in, he he watched a defenseman defenseman trip backwards, created a breakaway, scored on it, and it was a welcome to Flint was my goal call, you know. So I, I like this kid a lot. He went on drafted this year. He attended the Montreal Canadiens um, rookie camp, I believe they call it, right after the NHL draft, um, and then uh, was at the Arizona Coyotes training camp. Um, and he is, you know, he is kind of one of those stories, again, to show that size kind of does not necessarily need to be the case in the game of hockey today. And he finds a way to score goals. He leaves the team in points, and the players love him, and he's funny, and he's a great player. Dominic Hennig is the uh, voice of the Flint Firebirds. My guest here on the Pipeline Show is our CHL insider today. And 
one of those things about junior hockey I always like to see is the guy who is leaps and bounds of where he was this time last year, um, you know, a year under a guy's belt at, at junior hockey level, can be significant. Uh, who has taken a, a big jump forward this year already that you can tell through the first couple of weeks of the season compared to where he was last year? Well, I, I, it's uh, Flint's kind of been a weird, weird situation. I think if you would have asked me this question, um, you know, maybe back in March, I could tell you that Ethan Keppen was that player. This is a player who he self-proclaimed said, I don't think I'm going to get drafted this year. Came in, had a, you know, a career year this year, went fourth round to the Vancouver Canucks. Jake Durham came in last season. This is a player that signed on as a free agent for the Firebirds. Um, and he found a way to break out for 55 points this year. That's a pretty big deal in the OHL for a free agent signing. Um, so those are two players who broke out last year. This year, it's a bit early for us, I think. I think Connor Roberts is a guy that I think you could say is, is having a breakout season, but he was a third overall pick in the same year Ty Delandria went fifth overall to the Firebirds back right. in 2016. He's just been injured for the last two years. Now he's actually getting to show the actual true player he is. So I think Connor Roberts is a player that I think you look out for this season uh, for the Firebirds for sure on uh, the front end, and and he, and he's been playing well. I also think watch out for Evan Mirling. I really this player just was named a rated rated level C on on um, NHL Central Scouting's players to watch list. I think that's going to go up over the course of the year, um, and, and he's going to you know find himself you know at a favorable position in the NHL draft this upcoming summer. So if you're going to ask me last year, I'm going Cup and Durham. If you're asking me this year, I'm going Beerling and Connor Roberts are, are the two for the Flint Firebirds. Uh, Eric Wellwood on the bench uh, again this year, uh, and uh, that stability, that uh, uh, carryover from one season to the next, uh, is it's got to be a positive thing for the Firebirds as well. Yeah, it is. Uh, Eric, this is a guy who is a three-time Memorial Cup champion, there's a few that have won it three times. Nobody has won it four. And he uh, openly says in different articles and, and, you know, media interviews that he wants to be the first to, to win four. And, you know, you got to love that in your coach. You know, that's a, that's a winning mentality. And, you know, he's played in the NHL. He's played with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's, he's won the Memorial Cup twice as a player with the Windsor Spitfires, once as a coach with the Oshawa Generals. And so, to have that winning, you know, culture or that winning, you know, instinct here in Flint is, is huge. And, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's young enough in age where he relates to the guys. Uh, um, I, I think he does a heck of a job with that. And at the same time, though, he's old enough where they respect him and, and listen to him and, and, and make sure, um, you know, whatever he says goes. So I think it's a perfect combination here in Flint, but it doesn't just stop with him. I mean, the Firebirds also have a guy named Ryan Kuabara, who was in a, co- a coach with the Saginaw Spirit last year. They went on to win the West Division. Well, now we have that championship culture also coming over to Flint, our rival city. So, um, and this is a guy who's in charge of booking the, 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 the trips the day before and booking the meals and, and the breakfast and, and the pregame meals, and the postgame meals and all that. And it's all five-star first-class stuff. So you could tell that that, you know, it was something maybe we might have been, um, made a huge upgrade in this season uh, as well. So winning culture comes from all over right now with this club. And then Mark Rideau is a guy who was a former Plymouth Whaler and, and now owns a successful gym in, in Windsor, Ontario, which is the connection there with Eric Wellwood. And, um, now you, you know, now you have a coach 
who is running our strength and conditioning program. Instead, it might have been the trainer beforehand, and, and you know, you, you might think you could get away with a little bit more when it's your trainer, but when it's your coach, you know it's going to affect your playing time. Well, now you're better in the gym, and that, again, leads to on-ice, you know, results for this hockey club moving forward, and that's why, you know, yeah, I'm the media guy. My, my, my paycheck comes from the Firebirds hockey team, but when you actually add it all up and start doing the math, you think, wow, something special is actually happening right now in Flint, Michigan. And I really, truly believe that. Good to see you for sure uh, with Eric Wellwood. I'm darn sure I had him on the program back when he was winning Memorial Cups with Windsor as a player. So he's making me feel really old right now. Uh, <laughs> a head coach and having success in the OHL when I had him on as a player. Um, that shows my age. Uh, lastly, uh, the fan base in Flint. Uh, how's how's the um, the Firebirds uh, making that imprint in the city? And uh, you said the building holds what about four thousand? Is it are you selling it out every night, or what sort of attendance do you draw? Well, I kind of t- touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, uh, again, there hasn't been much success here. You think about it. The Plymouth Whalers moved to Flint. Our first year was you know international headlines on a negative note, and then. Year two, we did make kind of a run. We went we went to the playoffs and, and won a game in the first round versus St. Marie, but still nothing really to get you going. And then year three is in year four. You, you finish second to last in the 20-team OHL. So through all that, this team was still averaging 2,500 paid tickets you know, through the door a night, through 34 nights. That's pretty darn good when you really think about it, when it's a new franchise and haven't really even taken off yet. So I think this city gets the OHL. I think they understand the, the, the type of hockey. We also just had a, a, the first Firebird to play at the home of the Detroit Red Wings, Little Caesars Arena, the new building Sunday in the Red Wings home opener for the Dallas Stars, Nick Camano. So that res- that's starting to resonate as well. That was a huge positive for us this week, too, throughout Flint. It was on all the news stations and the radio stations and, of course, social media. But when you ask about the fan base, I personally think once we give them something to be prideful about, some sort of wins, um, this place is is, going to be incredible, an incredible place to play junior hockey. And the reason why is opening night, like I said, the building seats 4,000. We had 3,800 through the door on a college football Saturday on, on game number one of the year. And, and that says a lot for us. Normally our attendance spikes after December. High school football is big in the States. Our local teams get four or 5,000 a night. College football is obviously huge. I talked about Michigan and Michigan State on Saturdays. And then on Sundays, it's the NFL. And there's the Detroit Lions. And they're having a heck of a start to a season now as well. So mm-hmm. it's tough for the American teams until football is over with. But I think Flint's a good market and here's where i'm going to lose your listeners i think but i truly firmly believe this and i say this and i ask people this all the time and everybody who's actually been to flint on a, a night where we have at least three thousand the billion agree with me and i'm gonna lose your listeners but i'll put my money on it with anybody in this league in the ohl i honestly truly believe flint firebirds have the loudest building in the 20 team ohl and i'm not just saying that as a media guy and you can roll your eyes and everything you all you want but come here i mean honestly come here and experience it our fans you know come for the wave and the two dollar beers and the two dollar hot dogs or i feel like canadian fans they go to watch the power play they dissect the penalty kill it's it's in their blood right our fans come for the party it's a blue collar town it's an older building it's a short roof or a low roof and i just think the roof gets blown off on games here in Flint when 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 the buildings you know at least three quarters full. I, I invite you, Gee, come on, I'll I'll give I'll give you a full tour and experience. And you're gonna love the facilities and the press box and the suites and everything. It's a fantastic environment. 
One day I will. I will definitely take you up on that because uh, I, I noticed it out here in the WHL as well, and I, I've been fortunate enough to go to one of the American franchises out here, and I noticed the, the difference in the mentality of the American hockey fan compared to the Canadian hockey fan, and you kind of touched on it there. I think Canadian hockey fans cheer they in reaction to what's happening, whereas I think American hockey fans try to influence the play a lot more than Canadian hockey fans do. And I think it makes for a completely different sort of environment. Uh, how, how would you describe the difference? Uh, I think that's, you know, exactly it. What you said, they try to influence. And maybe that comes from, you know, the whole student sections in college football and stuff like that and high school mm-hmm. football. Maybe that's where the mentality comes from. I also think our alcohol is cheaper. Like I said, $2 <laughs> beers, so that probably plays a factor in it. And I do want to say that, you know, again, I'm the broadcaster for the team. I've been to all 20 buildings in the league, you know, for the last five consecutive years. So I'm not just, you know, pulling this out of a hat and just giving some bold claim. I, I honestly truly believe that. And, and again, it's, it's American fans. I think they come for the party. You yeah. know, hockey isn't our primary sport in the U.S. Um, so they come to have a good time and they're not there just because it's a religion where it is in Canada. And I love that. I think it's a huge advantage for us. And, you know, you hear it from a lot of people, players that come over that were traded from the London Knights, you know, uh, and the Windsor Spitfires of, of the OHL. They come and they're like, man, we used to hate coming here because it was so loud and so hard to play at. And now they're here and they say, yeah, it's definitely the loudest building in the league. So who knows if I'm biased? I'm sure a lot of people will probably already turn this interview off after hearing that, but I'll <laughs> stick by it. And I mean that 100%. I think Flint's a destination. You want to come check it out. And one more on that is the Niagara Ice Dogs are here for opening night, and their media girl, her name is Jordan Musa, uh, she actually sent a, a text saying, pleasantly surprised with Flint. It's not what people expect at all. Your downtown area is awesome, awesome craft breweries, and we had a great time, and you have an awesome building. And you don't hear, you don't think that when you think of Flint, Michigan, but it's true. I invite everybody to come on down and see it for yourself. Awesome stuff. Uh, well, all the listeners can uh, let us know on Twitter right now what they thought of uh, your comments about the, the, the caliber of oh, the no. crowd and stuff. So on Twitter, <laughs> oh, you're what? Dominic yeah. Hennig, and it's not Henning, it's Hennig. So they can follow you on Twitter if uh, if they're not already, and they can they can let us know which is the best barn in the OHL for uh, for the atmosphere. Dominic, I really appreciate your time, and I will. I, I, I definitely need to make a trek out to Ontario and and taking some OHL uh, action, and, and I'll get across the border and, and watch some games uh, in your neck of the woods. Thanks for doing this. I'll roll up the red carpet for you, Gee. Have a good night. There's Dominic Henning of the uh, Flint Firebirds, and uh, it is Hennig, not Henning, although I always naturally want to say Henning, but you take out that N in the I-N-G, and it's Hennig. But when I play it back, it always sounds like I have a cold, and I'm saying Hennig, Hennig. A name I always seem to butcher, and I apologize uh, to Dominic for that. Uh, but uh, always appreciate when he is uh, able to come on the show. Supplied me with the uh, play-by-play clip there of Ty Delandria at the, that you heard at the end of the uh, the first segment that I used. And uh, good to see Flint off to uh, such a, a, a promising start. Up next, a little NCAA hockey talk. We'll go to uh, the Hockey East Conference and a preview that conference for everybody. And uh, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is my guest to do that. He joins me next here on the Pipeline Show. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year, and here he goes. Wide around the defender. Newhook shoots, scores! 
He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Gee Flaming. Who? This is The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and it's the NCAA Campus Report segment uh, brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you are uh, a player or you have a player in your family that is exploring all your options and uh, want to know more about the NCAA College Hockey Path, uh, that's a great place uh, to start your search is at collegehockeyinc.com. Uh, lots of uh, resources there, and you can make contact with the people at uh, College Hockey, Inc., and uh, they'll answer your questions uh, gladly, tell you what you need to do to maintain your eligibility and things like that. Uh, the campus report today, we're uh, zeroing in and focusing on uh, Hockey East, and, of course, that means uh, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is back on the Pipeline Show. Jimmy, uh, thanks for taking the time once again. How are you? I'm doing well. Always a pleasure to talk. Uh, this time of year, you know the puck's on the ice. That's the the best part. Yes. Well, I know some teams got in action uh, last week in some non-conference games, but uh, things get going uh, for real here uh, this weekend. Uh, when it comes to Hockey East, it was kind of a bit of a down year last year, wouldn't it? I think that's fair to say. Uh, does does the conference balance back this year, or uh, how do you? What do you think of the overall strength of the conference this year? Well, I, you know, I don't know if you can totally clarify the classify last year as a down year. I mean, maybe your perennial powers weren't where you'd expect them, BC and BU didn't have great years overall. Um, you know, Lowell, which had been on the up and up, you know, had second missed its second consecutive tournament. But then you put UMass and Providence in the, in the Frozen Four and obviously UMass in the national championship game. Uh, they were humbled, for sure, by a very good Minnesota Duluth team. But I think it was a pretty decent year. Uh, they got better as the year went on, and I think that that's something they want to build on. Their second-half non-conference record was very good. Um, and, you know, week one, pretty good. Merrimack, they had their little slip, losing two out of Lake State, but, you know, you had a sweep for Lowell, you know, a couple of other teams in action. Providence and Maine actually played a league game, and Providence uh, dominated. You know, people had some questions whether Providence would be a, a great team after all they lost, but they, you know, outshot Maine 59-29 and beat them 7 nothing. So mm-hmm. there's some there's some definite positive signs, and I think some high expectations. You have some really good recruiting classes at BC and BU, uh, even Lowell has a pretty good one, even though it's not filled with draft picks and big names. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, still questions maybe about the league, but I think there's you know a lot more to be optimistic for this year maybe than there has in a couple of years. Well, and you mentioned the recruiting classes uh, for BC and BU. It was much the same the last couple of years. It didn't really seem to help them uh, in the last couple of years, even though they were bringing in some some pretty high caliber players. Yeah, BU specifically. Yeah. You know, I think you look back, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something like you know maybe eight first rounders in the last three years, and I think fifteen first or second rounders over the last three years. But talking to David Quint, who's the previous coach, and then Albie O'Connell, who stepped in last year uh, when David went to the uh, New York Rangers, both of them 
talked about some of the struggles that you can have when you only go after the highest of high-end recruits. And you get some great players. They're not going to stay at your school for a long time. Some of them, you know, are one foot out the door in January, which is not very helpful. And then there's also the problem of, you know, recruiting people that have always been their first-line center, their first-line wing, their top defensive pair. And you're not always going to be able to be that. You know, you can't put seven first-line centers on the first line. It's just not logistically logistically possible, or even forwards for that matter. You know, it's it's just a difficult thing, and you know sometimes you have the egos. And you know, I was just talking to Jerry York a little while ago, and he said every player has an ego, even if you're a fourth line or trying to get to the third line, you have an ego and you have a competitiveness to you. But it's how you know how you mix that up. And he said to me, you can't just put it all in a microwave and it mixes perfectly. You've got to work on that chemistry. I think that's what maybe. A BU specifically, you know, struggled with and talking with LB O'Connell before the season, um, he acknowledged that and he said some of the, some of the things he tried to do is not go after all blue chippers, have a couple of solid character players, some guys that maybe were even older. Cause you know, when you're getting these blue chip guys from the national team development program, they're 18 years old, sometimes coming in at 17. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, it's not a bad idea to have a couple of 20 year old freshmen on your lineup because schools like, UMass Lowell or UNH, even Providence for that matter, have a few of those players. So when you get it, you know, you get into the nitty gritty of it, those bigger, stronger players, when those guys are seniors and they stay around for four years, they're 25 years old, 24 years old, and just the maturity of their bodies can sometimes be something to wear you down. So, you know, you look at Lowell and what they built there, you know, over the last seven years, and that was a, a lot of their success. They'd have a lot of 24 and 25 year old seniors and not too many 17 nature old freshmen. So, I think now a day in college hockey, and it's not just hockey, it's every league, it's trying to find that right mix of players that it's not just skill or talent or character or ego. It's sometimes age and size. It's, it's, you know, the longevity of a player because you don't want a player to, there's not a lot of views. Coaches say to you, I'd take greatest player. I'd take, you know, Jack Eichel for one year any time, even though I know it's only for one year. Sure you would, but it, there's not a, an ability to build, build a longevity when all of your really, you know, a lot of your recruits are one and done or two and done. Is there also something to be said about recruiting guys? And, and you, you'd prefer them either to play in the uh, USHL or the NAHL or one of the junior A leagues in Canada rather than coming straight from high school. I, and I go back to Providence last year with Jay O'Brien. I mean, a first-round pick of the Flyers obviously found it to be a, a pretty big jump up uh, to step right into the NCAA, and now he's gone back to junior A's, playing in the BCHL with Penticton and ripping up that league. Um, clearly might be too good for that league, but wasn't ready to step right into the NCAA last year. Is there something to, to be said for that? Possibly. You know, I think that each uh, player is probably a different case. Sure. Um, and in, in, in O'Brien's case, you know, I don't, I just don't know you know, maybe not physically ready, maybe no, not emotionally ready. I do think that, you know, I, I, I'm almost 30 years in the college game now. And when I was in school myself, almost a quarter of the players came right from high school. Maybe you sent a guy that needed a little bit more maturity or development out to the USHL, or maybe you sent him up to, you know, one of the, the junior B leagues up in Canada or something like that. But for the most part, you, you, you thought that you could get them out of high school. Maybe you had to redshirt a guy because he wasn't that mature and he'd be there for five years or whatever it might be. 
But that trend has definitely changed. And you see a lot of the, the parents knowing that if my kid's 14 and he's good, he can't be playing on this high school team. He needs to be out, you know, somewhere in the Midwest. And that, you know, that's why you look at the New England high school leagues that were so strong for so long. And you had guys like Tom Barrasso. Uh, I could name 20 more if I had more time to think about them. But, you know, but you go back to the 80s and some of these Jackie O'Callaghan, like the, the 80 Olympic team, the guys that came from Minnesota and Massachusetts all had played high school. There was not no real thought of playing junior. That's mm-hmm. just all just changed so much. And I think that players that do go and play that 80-plus game schedule at the junior level they learn a lot. They get a lot more ice time. They get a lot more teaching, uh, more of those game moments that that they can build, you know, the, the character in a player. Um, and so, but you you also have some players that can just jump in. And maybe they played in a New England prep league as opposed to high school. Same thing. You're still going to school every day. You're still acting the same way. You're just playing all of your games against higher end talent. So I guess it, it's just difficult. I think it's difficult to take the step from any Massachusetts or New England high school. Now, if we want to change that over to Minnesota, let's talk about something different. I think the Minnesota high schools are a little bit different. So that's the one area of the country that I do see a lot of kids taking you know, that step more directly. But even there, you see a few guys popping out to the USHL mm-hmm. uh, who you know are really good players. But if they, if they feel that they're not ready or their parents or their family's advisor or their coach that's recruiting them feels they're not ready, I think it's always not, it's never a bad step to come into college a little later. You're only going to be more mature and more ready. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, looking at the Hockey East Conference. Uh, let's get to the teams. And uh, Boston College was the uh, number, the first place uh, uh, winner in the uh, winner, I don't know, coaches poll, uh, preseason coaches poll. They're uh, the number one ranked team. Do you see it the same way? Uh, do you expect BC to be the top team? Uh, I think it's a toss-up between maybe them and UMass. You can throw... Northeastern. I, I, the way I look at it, there's six teams that could potentially win this league right now. And, and BC, BU, uh, Providence, UMass, Northeastern, and Lowell, I think all have the, the teams that could do it. You know, would UMass and BC be the two that I would put at the top of that list? Absolutely. Um, but I, I really do see it as kind of a pack of six. They're all going to fight for that home ice playoff spot where the top four get that first round home ice. Um, but I do see every one of them capable. And then you probably have a small pack of three teams, which would be uh, Connecticut, Vermont, and New Hampshire, that could that they're going to challenge for those home ice spots and maybe, you know, knock a team like, you know, uh, maybe it's Lowell, maybe it's Providence, maybe it's Northeastern, knock them out of that top four, and these teams could be a surprise. And then I, do, I really do see that a big jump between all of those nine schools and then 10 and 11 in Maine. Uh, in Merrimack, I think both of those programs are kind of set up. And they're, I don't know if they're rebuilding or just they're, they're just not going to be that strong. But So I see a lot of teams that could be at the top, uh, but I, I do feel like D.C. and UMass should be in a class by themselves. Saying something for UMass, so when they lose uh, arguably their two best players in Kale McCarr and, and Mario Ferraro, who step right into the NHL, uh, both of them uh, starting uh, in the NHL this season, and yet they're still considered to be you know, right near the top of, of Hockey East. Despite the loss of those two guys, who leads the way now for uh, the Minutemen? Well, I think, you know, Philly Lindbergh and Mike and Matt Murray on the back end are just such phenomenal goaltenders, and they, they both um, proved it last season. 
you know, I think Mitchell Chafee is, was really good. And there, there's also some members of the junior class. If you go back to the, this year's junior class when they were freshmen, I think Oliver Chow was in there. Yeah. Uh, they, they all they were standout players then. And, and then you had Kale McCarr and, and Mario Ferraro on the back end. They were getting a lot of attention. But th- that was a pretty darn good team that was finding ways to score goals. Um, then they added uh, Jacob Pritchard as a grad transfer. He was pretty phenomenal. Obviously, they, they've lost him as well. Um, but, you know, Marcel Geisel is, was a guy that if it wasn't for, uh, Makar and Ferraro probably gets mentioned a lot more as one of the elite D men in the league. So I just feel like they still have a lot of pieces. Um, they're going to have to fill holes, but, you know, talking to, um, uh, talking to Greg Carville before the season, he just said experience fills holes and we've experienced a lot last year and they learned and, he also was very specific in pointing out that he was very happy that if his team was not going to win the national championship game, that they kind of were never in the game. Mm-hmm. He said it was good to be humbled. He said it's better to, to lose a game 3 nothing than 4-3 in overtime because then you'll think you, you were there and you were ready to win. He says he knows his team needs to take another step to win that national title game. And I think they're ready to, to do it. I, I think that it will be more challenging without some phenomenal players, especially a guy like Cale McCarr, who contributed so much to the offense. But I think that that team has a lot of the pieces in place to, to continue to build and continue to be a good program. When you have a great coach like Greg Carville, that helps as well. Uh, Providence and Northeastern figure uh, highly in the uh, uh, coaches' poll as well. I know you mentioned those two clubs in, in your uh, uh, list of uh, teams that you think can uh, contend for the league uh, title. Um, tell me about Providence and uh, do they, I mean, are they a lot different than last year in terms of recruiting class? Who do they have coming in of note and, and maybe even through hockey East to reel off, rattle off some of the names of the freshmen that you're going to be keeping an eye on? Well, I'll tell you, we can talk about recruiting classes, but I think the biggest addition that Providence made uh, was their goaltender, Michael Lackey. They get Harvard's you know, three-year goaltender who had, you know, finished all of his credits and was ready to graduate. He goes in as a graduate transfer, only there for one year, but this will be, this is pretty good timing because you think of the fact uh, that you lost a very good goaltender in Hayden Hockey. You've got to have somebody that on the back end can be your stopgap. And, and that just gives the confidence of the players. in front. They lost a lot though. Josh Wilkins was a heck of a player. Jacob Bryson, Casper um, Bjorkwist, I thought was, you know, arguably one of the more enjoyable forwards to watch in the league because he has so much uh, talent. Vinny DeArnay, Scott Conway. So they lost a lot, but they bring back enough. Um, you know, Jack Dugan, uh, was, you know, pretty solid all last year. Um, Tice Thompson, you know, we, we know kind of that family's history with, you know, Tage from UConn. Um, and then Greg Prince, we knew he was going to be good. He goes out and scores four goals against Maine in the opener. So we know that he's going to pack into the offense. So I just feel like that, that team, there's still question marks and not every game is going to be a seven, nothing victory. Like it was uh, last Saturday afternoon, but I think that they have um, enough in their, in their cupboard to be very competitive. And then you turn to Northeastern. Uh, they keep losing. Of course, you know, they had a great class a couple of years ago and then you lose get, you know, Caden Primo, who was, you know, probably the best goaltender in the league last year. Um, but they bring back guys like Tyler Mattern and, and uh, Grant Joseph. Zach Solo, he's been a guy that's been overshadowed for two years because of all the great forwards ahead of him, but 15 goals a year ago. And then, you know, again, another team that took the the 
transfer route, and they brought in Craig Pantano from Merrimack, who was probably the best player on Merrimack's team last year. He'll come in as a grad transfer and play goaltender for Northeastern. Um, they added Brandon Van Reenzeit from New Hampshire, same type of thing. And then, you know, just a few freshmen here and there that I don't know a ton about, but that people are, are enough have enough positive thoughts about that I think they should be pretty competitive as well. The graduate transfer seems to be more prevalent in the last couple of years than it was uh, prior to that. What changed, and are you a fan of that? Um, I don't know if I'm a fan of it. That's a that's a. I, I love four year players, um, but they're far few and far between when you get the talented ones that we had in the NHL. Um, but what has changed, I think, has been a lot of teams' approaches to the the educational part of college hockey. You know, when I was in school 27 years ago, you arrived in, you know, late August, probably right before Labor Day. You, you went to classes for a month. The puck got, you know, you got on the ice October 1st. You played your first game. It was an exhibition around mid-October. And then you, you were into your schedule late October and you, you know, crunched your 34 games in somehow that way. Nowadays, these kids, basically the, the season ends for them. Um, they go home after their exams for about a month, and then the entire returning class, along with the recruits, are on campus by late June, early July. Now, that just doesn't just give you an advantage in the weight room and maybe them getting to skate a little bit together, getting some ice time from the captains and all that sort of stuff, but it gives you the chance to take more classes. Right. And what most programs are doing is having their kids take at least two classes in the summer um, one class, you're stuck there during winter breaks. In most schools, you can facilitate to take at least one class between that time you get back after Christmas and the time you start, which is usually, usually around uh, the third or fourth Monday in, uh, in January that you're back. So you can take another class in there. If you really push it and take a night class, you can pull two up. So kids are just – the coaches always saw that as a way to just take, off, take the stress off the academic uh, schedule when you're actually playing. And, you know, unless you take your required four classes and that's it and you don't take anything more. Uh, but what it's turned into is these kids are now actually getting enough credits that they're able to graduate after three years. Some are, some are done in, in, you know, two and a half. And once you've done that, that gives you the ability to transfer to any program without having to sit out. Um, there's strict rules about it. You have to, um, you have to contact the school that you want to go to. They can contact you. Uh, you hear it. I don't know how popular college football is on your side of the border, but the transfer p- portal that they've had for college football, that's kind of what's being used as well for hockey um, so that you can alert schools that you're looking to leave that program and, you know, be picked up. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that's, it's not going away because it's now being facilitated by the coaches. It's now being facilitated by the NCAA. It's, it's good maybe for teams like we just mentioned, Northeastern and Providence that needed, somebody to fill a tough hole, like, yeah. in, like the goaltending position. But do I don't know if I love it. I just, it's so hard to watch a player who played three years and was somebody that you grew attached to now being on a competing team in, in the case of Pantano in the exact same league. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be hard for Merrimack fans when Northeastern plays them to watch a player that they, that they loved. I mean, he was their, usually the best player on their team. I would have to think he was their MVP last year. And now he's playing against you. So it's probably very difficult in a sport. This is not professional athletics. And I think that people, you know, 
associate that with the pros and, oh, okay, well, we traded him away. Okay, we lost him to free agency, but hey, you just lost a kid that you thought you'd have for four years, and but his last season he's playing for another team. Yeah, you don't see that, just don't think, in my head, I don't think of player movement nearly as much as it's happening when I think of college hockey or NCAA uh, sports, for that matter, I don't. Uh, I don't envision the, uh, the 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 movement from team to team or program to program as much as it's uh, as it's become. So it's it's a new thing uh, to wrap my head around. Um, the Hobie Baker winner four of the last six years has come from Hockey East. Uh, who is the prime candidate out of that league for the Hobie this year in your mind? Oh, that's that's tough. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, talent in this league. Um, I don't know if they have a favorite this year. Well, it's a, it's a good question because obviously there's been some really high end talent. There's obviously those type of players again, um, within this league. I look at guys like David Cotton and Logan Husko at Boston College. Um, you know, down the line, there's probably going to be players that emerge. Um, we, we also have, you know, you have some of these freshmen that were drafted in the fresh, first round. I don't expect to have a Jack Eichel this year, but you just never know. Uh, when somebody like that's going to come along. So I'll, I'll give you one player to to think about. And he's been the most overshadowed player for three years at his university. Uh, but Stephanus Lekas at Vermont is probably the most talented goaltender um, we've seen in this league in a long time. But he's not getting the wins because the team in front of him just doesn't score goals. And if Vermont, and I talked to Kevin Snedden about this, if Vermont can be – a little bit more competitive on the offensive side. And he loves his team this year. He said that this is the best chemistry he's had as a team since his 2009 Frozen Four team, which lost to Boston University in the Frozen Four. He said that this is the best team he's had since then in terms of just the chemistry in the locker room. Maybe the talent isn't the, the same, but he has a good feeling about this team. That If that team has some success and Lekas put some real numbers up, I know it's hard for a goaltender to win the Hobie, but – in terms of being one of the best candidates, he could be easily one of the best candidates in the league. Lastly, Jimmy, and I, it might be two, three years uh, premature to ask the question, but the new legislation there uh, out in California that uh, is going to enable college athletes to um, bring in some money, get some sponsorship money or uh, endorsement money, how could that affect college hockey if and when it gets to the point, I, I don't know how many states have followed suit with California that also have NCAA hockey programs in it, but is there a concern? For uh, college hockey at all, or I think the biggest concern is probably for the NCAA in general, and the fact that a state felt the need to kind of be the proactive uh, party. If the NCAA had been proactive about this themselves, they might have saved some problems. But there, it's it's a very it's a, such a fine line. So what the state of California has said is that you can basically earn endorsement deals while you're in college. They're not being paid technically to play by the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that w- that's the way the law would say. Now, I'll start with the, the obvious that if anybody accepts an endorsement deal right now in the state of California, no matter what the law is, the NCAA can disqualify them because every member institution is still a member at will. And every student that goes to those colleges goes to on their own choice. So you know the rules when you go in there. You take money, you're automatically disqualified from playing. That said, if this becomes something that all 50 states were to adopt, um, then the NCAA would have to take action, even if it was something that, say, eight states, you know, adopted. It's going to take some time, but it's it's something that likely will happen. If that's the case, 
then you're seeing positives. I don't think that, uh, that hockey is going to be affected too much. Sure, some of the high-end players might get some deals with um, some of the equipment companies, get some deals with some of the sponsors that also, you know, work directly with the NHL on either side of the border. Um, but I don't see it being affected. But here's the, the, the slippery slope. You want to play a really bad at your school, and one of the boosters decides, hey, you know what? What if I offer him $3 million to endorse my construction company? Right. <laughs> you know, that's not exactly the intention of this. This is mostly so that players that are in football and basketball aren't losing out on these sneaker endorsements. They're not lo- losing out on some equipment endorsement contracts. But could you see a school that has a ton of money in their athletic association, or I'm sorry, in their alumni association, to you know, kind of wring the arm of an alumnus or just an alumnus go and do it themselves and say, hey, I want my team to be the best. I like to brag about how good my school is, and I will then I'll you know drop you a, a, a sum of money, and we're just going to call it an endorsement deal. So that's the slippery slope that I don't think anybody is really thinking about right now. It's not being thought about, it, especially by the lawmakers. I think the NCAA has thought this through a hundred times. They've had to over their existence, but when you try to have legislation at a state level affect a private organization like the NCAA, it just doesn't work. And I think there will be so much. I mean, this will end up in the Supreme Court someday, likely. <laughs> it just feels like something, there's too much money involved not to. But I understand that the NCAA probably has to take a hard stance so that money can't influence. So you basically can't buy championships. And that's one of the dangers that comes along with all the money that gets pumped, pumped back in. I wonder if one of the potential side effects is uh, it opens the door to uh, CHL players to have NCAA eligibility. I mean, guys who are playing in the Canadian Hockey League who are deemed ineligible because there's 20 guys in the CHL who have also signed uh, their entry-level contracts with, with their NHL team. They're not getting paid during the season, but they've got their signing bonus, and that deems them uh, professionals. And so then there was 20 or 30 players uh, make the entire Canadian Hockey League a professional league in the eyes of the NCAA, which to me is crazy. But does that then potentially mean that this uh, a bunch of players would then become eligible for college hockey? It, there's possibilities. I mean, you know, don't forget, you know, CHL players haven't always been just strictly banned. You could go to the CHL, hate it, and come down and play in the NCAA. Yep. But when you did that, the number of games you played at the CHL level and back in the time, you then had to sit out. So if yep. you played 15 games, you had to sit out 15 games. That has changed. I don't even think that that's allowed. I know that some European leagues, they still allow that. There's, a, there's actually one of the better, uh, I can't call him a freshman, that's going to be playing at New Hampshire this year, went through that where he's been sitting out. He's going to be finally eligible to play somewhere around mid-November, mm-hmm. and he'll be a player to watch with New Hampshire. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, it's just too hard to predict how things – um, will progress in whether the CHL, don't forget that the NCAA doesn't feel like regulating hockey. The only thing they really want to regulate is football and basketball because that's where most, and I say most, now right. there's plenty of other, you know, examples, but that's where most of the impropriety lies. And just because there's so much tied up in TV revenues in those sports, but um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't have a good pulse for whether or how hockey will be affected, but trust me, if a coach can get a competitive ed, edge using a new loophole in one of these rules, 
they're going to find a way to do it no matter what sport. They can be playing water polo. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so again, the coaches will always try to find every competitive edge they will. The graduate transfer rule is one that is an example. That's somebody found the loophole. They said, okay, let's go with it. I think it was Ron Pecknall, the Quinnipiac, I think was one of the first coaches I remember using it. And now everybody uses it. So any, any, if there's a way to get around it, people are going to get around it. But right now, I think it, it'll be status quo. This isn't going to happen quick. This is, as you said, four or five, maybe even further down the line, if it yeah. ever gets to take effect. Well, lots of stories to watch for this year, for sure. Uh, not just in hockey, but across the, the NCAA. Um, the last thing, is there a, a new commissioner for Hockey East yet? Not yet. Uh, the, the process, you know, because they have Joe Bertania for this season, uh, locked in on the contract and he will, you know, he's a good man. He will finish out his contract very admirably. Um, they will take their time, I think, with this. I, I think maybe by, January, we're still going to start to hear, hear about the real candidates. I know there's been a lot of speculation, but um, I, I think it's going to be a process that probably won't settle itself out until probably the end of the season. Are you on the short list? I am not. Not even considering it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not something that would that would fit my skill set. <laughs> well, Jimmy, I really appreciate your time. As always, uh, already looking forward to having you on again. All right, Keith. Thanks. Enjoy the season. I will enjoy the season, Jimmy. Thanks for that, and thanks for uh, making time for the Pipeline Show uh, once again. Always great when uh, Mr. Connolly is able to uh, come on the Pipeline Show and uh, educate us about some of the NCAA stuff going on. Again, the question of the week for this episode is, uh, who's your Hobie Baker pick for this uh, coming season? I threw up five Canadians uh, that I think deserve recognition. Ian Mitchell at Denver. Brinson Pashnuk of Arizona State. Wade Allison at Western Michigan and uh, a pair of Cornell Big Red players in uh, goaltender Matt Goleida and a forward Morgan Barron. You can let me know what you think. At TPS underscore Gee is how you get me on Twitter. Up next, we turn on the 2020 draft spotlight, heading to the WHL for an in-the-dub segment. Seth Jarvis of the Portland Winterhawks off to a good start this year and could be one of the uh, top players taken out of the WHL this coming season. Get to know him. Next, here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Cody Glass from the Portland Winter Hawks. Gets the draw. Glass walking towards the Natty Scores! First period hat trick. It's natural from Cody Glass. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The puck's dropped on another WHL hockey season. This Saturday, your Edmonton Oil Kings go toe-to-toe with the Calgary Hitmen at Rogers Place. Don't miss your chance to see your Oil Kings live. Are you ready to rally for the next Battle of Alberta? Oil Kings, Hitmen. Saturday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody! We are back on The Pipeline Show. We're going to flick on the switch for the 2020 Draft Spotlight segment. And my guest today coming from the WHL, that makes it an in-the-dub segment for dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League by visiting dubnetwork.ca every day. Tune in for your daily dose of the dub 
My guest today comes from the Portland Winterhawks, Seth Jarvis. So welcome to the Pipeline Show, Seth. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Uh, thanks uh, for making time to come on the show. I know you guys are busy right now. I, this is going to air uh, later in the week, but uh, as I'm speaking with you right now, uh, after uh, you're in Calgary, aren't you, right now? Yeah, we just finished up against the Hitmen. I know the, the road trip hasn't started the way you wanted to, but uh, overall this season uh, it looked like the uh, the Winterhawks had got off to a pretty good start. Yeah, we started off the first three games very well against uh, Tri, Kamloops, and Van, but then uh, onto this road trip, you know, we're a young team, so just getting the feel of the road and two weeks is a long time to be away, so I think just getting the the feel of the first two games and heading into the third game, I think we're expecting big things. You know, it's funny because uh, I I uh, am close with the Edmonton Oil Kings. I've been on the broadcast and stuff for a number of years, and last year they went on the, the road trip uh, your way down to the U.S., didn't win a game, uh, and you guys off to uh, – you've lost your, your first two on the road trip. How how tough is this road trip? I don't know if fans just understand the, the distance traveled and you're playing teams you don't see very often. So it is a, a unique challenge at this point in the season. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's still very early in the season. We just finished up our fifth game. So, I mean, the travel is probably the biggest thing, just moving time zones and even like it's like a 16-hour bus ride or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, for guys who haven't played in the league, we have about five or six of them. I think it's just a new challenge for them. And then, obviously, for the returning guys, just figuring out who the new guys on the other teams are who we don't see as often, I think. Uh, it's probably the biggest challenge for most of us. So how do you prepare for a, a team that you don't see very often? Is it more about just making sure that you play winter hawk hockey and you execute your own game plan and, and hope and trust that if you do that, you're going to win the game? Yeah, I think just focusing on how we want to play and dictating the pace of the game and the style is the biggest part, but also you have to read up on their lineup a fair bit just to see who the key guys are and where you can take advantage of the other teams. Winterhawks are in Edmonton this coming weekend, and uh, th- that's a, a pretty healthy rivalry be- between the two franchises, considering they're in opposite conferences and only you know see each other uh, once a year uh, and before your time. But these two franchises went head to head three or four years in a row, uh, not all that long ago. So, do you f- do you feel that rivalry from a Portland perspective, even though you weren't part of those uh, those glory days for the two organizations? Yeah, I think just the history between the two. Obviously, it's pretty pretty big, so I think just carrying that on and uh, keeping uh, the rivalry alive, I guess, is uh, pretty important. Seth Jarvis, my guest, he plays for the Portland Winterhawks, draft eligible this year. And, and Seth, uh, we like to introduce the audience to somebody that's in your position, that uh, being that it is your draft season. And my audience is across North America and into Europe a bit. Um, so there will be some people hearing this who have never seen you play and maybe have never heard of you before. So let's get a bit of background for, for the benefit of those folks. Uh, where are you from? I'm from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, just uh, kind of in the center of Canada. And uh, do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey? I think I started skating when I was about two or three and started getting to organized hockey when I was four. Well, that's pretty young uh, to get it, to be uh, started that early. Uh, who got you into hockey at that young age? I think it was mostly my brother. He's six years older than me, so just watching him play. I've always kind of, he's been my role model growing up, so I think just watching him and uh, wanting to be like him just kind of got me got me going. I'm a younger brother myself, so I, I can certainly relate to what you're talking about. I always wanted to, to follow the big brother around. Um, now, did he, your brother, did he play at a high level as well? Yeah, he played at a pretty high level. He played junior in Manitoba and then uh, decided to go uh, – 
go on to school mm-hmm. to pursue business. Okay, very good. Seth, take me back to the uh, the Bantam draft. Uh, you were uh, taken, what, 11th overall in 2017, so pretty high. Uh, and I imagine there's some pressure that goes along with that. But what was what was the Bantam draft uh, day experience like for you? Were you at school or did you get to stay home? What was it like? Uh, we were actually trying out for our Team Manitoba team for the WHL Cup. Mm-hmm. So we we weren't allowed our phones at all. And so no one really knew what was happening. And I think, I can't remember. I think I was on the ice when I got drafted during the tryout. And I came back in the dressing room and I think one one guy had his phone in his pocket and told me I got drafted. But he didn't tell me where. So then I was excited I got drafted. But uh, I found out a little bit later on that it was uh, to Portland. Okay. And, uh, and how did you feel about that? Because geographically... You can't get a whole lot farther away from Winnipeg uh, in the WHL <laughs> than uh, to going down to Portland, Oregon. So how'd you feel about moving that far away? Yeah, I mean, the move was a little bit tough, but I I just know the organization's been incredible and all the players they've had come through here and moved on to the pros was exactly what I was looking for. So when I figured out, it, when I found out it was Portland, I think that was, uh, it was really exciting, not really knowing where Portland was, but uh, knowing the organization was incredible. Well, and uh, being a prairie kid and not having to spend winters in Winnipeg uh, or, you know, elsewhere <laughs> on the prairies, probably not a bad uh, bonus to, to be down in Portland. Eh? Winter's pretty easy down there by comparison. Yeah, you don't see much snow at all, and uh, I can go out in shorts pretty much all year round. Uh, rub it in. Rub it in, Seth. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, other Winnipeg guys who have uh, had success in Portland uh, in the past, I mean, a guy like Brendan Leipzig immediately comes to mind. Also not a very big guy, and I think, you know, uh, height-wise, I think he might be about the same size as him, uh, correct? I don't know. Do you ever, like, ha- have a chance to talk with a guy like that about that experience? Just uh, another Winnipeg guy who's who's been to Portland? Yeah, I have a little bit uh, here and there. We work out and train at the same place, so I see him around. But I think the biggest time was when I was 15 going into my first training camp. They brought he was there, and I got to talk to him a little bit about it. So it was cool just uh, hearing from a guy like that, and obviously he was incredible in the WHL. So yeah. just taking in as much as uh, I could. Seth Jarvis is my guest uh, here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, this year, Seth, uh, so far, uh, five points in five games, uh, so off to a, a point-per-game uh, pace, which is pretty nice. And, and last year you had 16 goals and 39 points uh, last season uh, in your uh, first full year. You did have 11 games the previous season of that. I wonder how much of a a benefit that was to have that 11-game uh, taste and to get you prepared for last year. Yeah, it was really good. I think coming in at 15, kind of learning the ropes from all the older guys at the time and uh, just seeing how fast the league was coming from playing in uh, midget. I think just coming in there at the time was awesome for me and getting those 11 games in was really crucial. Now, a coach like uh, Mike Johnston, and then you've got Don Hay on the bench as well, um, could be a, a little bit intimidating. Those guys are pretty accomplished uh, at this level and, and have both had NHL experience before as well. As a young guy, you're first uh, coming into uh, into Portland, uh, into camp. Was it a bit intimidating at all to be around guys like that? I mean, at the at the start, yeah, just knowing all their, their resume, obviously. Don's won tons of games and Mike's coached the NHL. So I think at the beginning it was, but then realizing how great people they are and just I can learn, like, an amazing amount from both of them. I think just opening up your ears and just uh, taking everything they say to heart and really applying it on the ice was big for me. How is this year different from last year and, and that 11-game stint the year before? 
just for you, just is it just a, a comfort level that uh, you've been through the league once now, and uh, so there's no surprises for you this year? Yeah, I think so. I think just more comfortable around the guys too, especially just returning. And uh, obviously, I I'm trying to take more of a leadership role this year, just kind of paving the way for the younger guys. So I think just uh, it's a little bit different of a role than I was used to last year, but it's a role I've done in the past and I'm very comfortable in. It's a, it's a great segue because that's where I was going to go. I mean, you're expected to be an offensive leader, and he, and he talked about trying to take on more of a leadership role for what you described as a young team. Does that come naturally, or is that is there a sort of a mental switch that you have to flick to to get into that mindset to be a leader? No, I uh, I pride myself on being being able to be a good leader, no matter where I am or where I'm playing. I think it just. Uh, it's been instilled in me from my parents and just watching how my brother grew up. He was also a very good leader. So I think just uh, being around the guys more will just bring it more out of me. Now, I'm looking forward to this weekend. It'll be my first chance to watch you live. Uh, I've seen you on TV and obviously on WHL Live and, and things like that. But for people who haven't had a chance to watch you play, how would you describe yourself as a player? I'd say I describe myself as very competitive and uh, speed-heavy game, I think. I rely a lot on my speed and uh, my quick thinking. I think my hockey IQ plays a big part and big role in my game. And then being able to put the puck in the net with, uh, I think I can pride myself on having a good shot and being able to put the puck past the goalie. All right. And you're a right-handed shot and you play on the right wing? Yeah. Uh, I know the web, the WHL website also lists you as a center. So do you find yourself in the middle sometimes? Yeah, I do. I find myself on the left wing too as well, I think. I think I would just call myself a forward and not a specific position. Okay. But there isn't one of the three spots that's uh, more natural, more comfortable? Um, I think now it's starting to become the right wing, but I've played center almost all my life and left wing, so I think anywhere is pretty comfortable for me. Now, Seth, uh, your season got off to an early start back in August. You were on the Helenka Gretzky Cup team for Canada and uh, ended it with uh, four points, a couple of goals, a couple of assists. What was that experience like for you? I know you it's not the first time you'd worn the uh, the Maple Leaf jersey uh as uh, representing Canada. You played the U17 uh, as well, but uh, to go overseas and, and play in the Czech Republic like that uh, that must have been exciting. Yeah, it was incredible. I think that was the first time obviously it was the first time that we sent for our age group one single team and I think just being a part of that was a huge honor and then just being able to go out to a different country and uh a different culture is really cool, and obviously the level of hockey was incredible. And how do you feel about the way you played? I know it didn't end the way you'd uh, you'd hoped, and the the medal you won wasn't the one you were looking for. But were you happy with your performance? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a bittersweet feeling. Obviously, I think I represented myself on an international stage very well, but obviously the ending was a little heartbreaking, just losing to Russia like that. Uh, now, I know there will be people who uh, spend a lot of time talking about your size. Uh, why is size not an issue for you? Obviously, you're you're having success at, uh, and, and what are you, what, 5'10", about 180? Yeah. Uh, wh- why is size not an issue for you? I think just, uh, I think I have this drive in me that can, obviously, you, you hear the phrase hard over height, and I think that applies for me very well. I think just the drive inside me uh, kind of pushes through whatever, size difficulty I have I mean uh, going against a bigger guy I can challenge him wide with my speed or get underneath him and then uh, against the smaller guys I think I'm strong for my size so I think I can overpower those two. 
obviously a, a power play guy. Do you, do you ever find yourself uh, on the penalty kill as well? Yeah, I'm actually starting this year on the penalty kill, and it's been going really well so far. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, do you? Uh, some guys prefer one over the other. I, I, as an offensive guy, I'm guessing you like uh, putting the puck in the net or, or setting up the goal, but you take some pride in uh, shutting down the other team as well, I would guess. Yeah, I love the penalty kill. I think just when you can create momentum for your team by not letting them score and even creating chances for yourself, I think uh, I think it really helps the guys get going and uh, spark the game a little bit. Seth, uh, your time left in the WHL, what, what do you have to uh, focus in on the most to get you ready for that next step? I think just uh, keeping uh, improving my game and expanding it in different areas and uh, making sure that I turn all my weaknesses to my strengths and my uh, strengths uh, even better so I can prepare the most for the upcoming season and hopefully uh, – NHL training camp this summer. Now, you're a Winnipeg guy. Does that mean the Jets are your team, or uh, were you cheering for somebody else before they, that franchise came back? Uh, I think before the franchise came back, I was a Maple Leaf guy just because of my uh, my grandfather, but I think since the Jets came back, they've definitely been my team. Seth, I, I really appreciate your time. Enjoy the conversation a lot, and uh, looking forward to seeing the you and the Winterhawks in action here in Edmonton uh, this weekend. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. That's Seth Jarvis of the Portland Winterhawks. Those Winterhawks are in action tonight, Friday night, in Red Deer and uh, will be in Edmonton on Sunday. The uh, The Winterhawks are being led in scoring by uh, Johnny Ludwig and Reese Newkirk, who have eight points right now. Seth Jarvis right behind with seven. Looks like it's offense by committee uh, for the Winterhawks, as uh, Jarvis has a couple of teammates, also with seven points, and Jake Grecius and Simon Knack or Kanak. Clay Hannis and uh, Cross Hannis, uh, not related, uh, also have uh, six points. One segment left to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. We're going to chat a little uh, Canada West hockey and, uh, more specifically, University of Manitoba. Head coach Mike Sarant has been on the bench for the Bisons. He's going into year 25. So he's been around. He's seen it all at the uh, U-Sport level. We're going to talk to him about this season for the Bisons, but... Also, a lot about just how U-Sport uh, has evolved over the last 20 years or so. How much better it's gotten. How much better the players have gotten, thanks to the CHL scholarships. How much more attention they're getting from NHL scouts. So, lots of ground to cover. We're going to do that with Mike Sarant next, here on the Pipeline Show. Broken up and then taken by Prop. Threw into the zone. He's on a breakaway. Look out. Short-handed. Score! Three short-handed goals and a hat-trick for Brian Prop. Holy cow. Welcome to Flyers Hockey on this Sunday. Hi, this is Brian Prop, former Brandon Weeking, and you're listening to the Pipeline Troll. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Last segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to talk a little new sports, uh, more specifically Canada West, and uh, even more specifically than that, we're going to Manitoba. The uh, Bisons off to a one and one start this season in Canada West play. Uh, last weekend, a few teams, including the Bisons, went uh, south of the border to play uh, some uh, NCAA exhibition games against uh, their American counterparts. Uh, but we get back at it again this week in Canada West play, and uh, the Bisons are here in Alberta. Well, uh, pleased to be joined now by the longtime head coach of the Bisons. That's uh, Mike Sarant. Uh, coach, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Well, thanks, Guy. It's a pleasure to be here, and yes, doing great. Just watching some snow fall down in here in Winnipeg. It's a little early for that. Oh, well. Are, are you guys, uh, you're still in Manitoba, or are you on your way to Calgary now? Uh, we leave uh, for Calgary uh, about uh, four hours from now. We okay. fly out uh, pretty soon here. All right. Maybe just uh, recap the the opening weekend for me. You get the split. Um, a good start. Uh, are you happy with the way you played on opening weekend? Well, mixed mixed feelings, Guy. Um, our, our goal this year, after coming off uh, not a very good year last year, our goal was to get back in the playoffs. Like typically, uh, Manitoba Bisons, we're you know we're in the top uh, half of our conference and consistently in the playoffs. And uh, last year, we didn't make the playoffs for the first time in as long as I can remember. So our our first goal, Guy, is to get back into the Canada West playoffs, and then of course go from there. Lethbridge is a team that uh, represents. Uh, let's say, uh, one of those uh, opponents that we have to beat out for a playoff position. So our goal going into the weekend at home was to is to get a sweep of Lethbridge, and we played very well. Like I was very proud of our performance on uh, the first game. We won 2 nothing. played a real solid game. Second game, we, we were good, but not good enough, and unfortunately we lost uh, a 5-4 game to Lethbridge, and they were able to uh, earn a, a split against us. But you know, had we won both those games, I would have put Lethbridge behind us right off the start and would have put us in a good position. You know, we're we're just in the opening weekend, but that's how tight and uh, competitive is in Canada West that you're already thinking about points for playoffs, even though uh, you're in uh, September. But with the 28-game schedule, and, and as I said, because of the parity, uh, every game is like a playoff game. Yeah, you really can't afford to have a, a two- or a three-game losing streak or you're really behind the eight ball. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, disappointed we didn't get the, the win on uh, the second game. But, you know, as I said, we played well, but uh, for us to win, we've got to be at our best. And uh, we weren't quite there and and uh, kind of missed an opportunity. Uh, for you, as you mentioned, uh, the, the Bisons uh, way more often than not are in the playoffs. And I think uh, reading up, I believe this is you're going into year 25 and 19 of the previous 24 years. The Bisons have been in the postseason, so to get back there again, obviously uh, the goal for you. Um, tell me about your team this year, and uh, you mentioned last year was a down year, and I imagine you've uh, added some uh, players since uh, last year's roster that you can think that you think will help you get to the playoffs uh, again this season. Uh, who stands out on your roster as your go-to guys? Yeah, well, well, absolutely. I mean, we don't even look at last year because this year is a completely different team. We have 15 first-year players, wow. so uh, it's quite a change, and uh, some of the guys that we picked up through recruiting have had a, a real good uh, start for us. Some players out of the Western League, a couple of defensemen, Brady Puto and Liam Schuler, who played with Regina Pats, and also Matthew Stanley from Swift Current, have stepped in and, and uh, have really been solid additions for our blue line. Um, up front, our, our veteran uh, captain, uh, fifth-year player Adam Henry, he's been outstanding. Uh, 
uh, we're, we believe he's going to have a, an amazing year. And, and I believe Adam is one of the top players in the country at the youth sports level. Uh, Sean Christensen, another fifth year defenseman, assistant captain. He's been real solid for us as well. And, um, We've got a line of uh, Jordy Keene and Lucas Cremita, former Everett Silvertip, and Colton Veloso, who was with Kootenay Ice. Uh, they've been really good for us as well. They, they've been playing um, you know, good two-way hockey, playing with some pace, uh, working very hard, creating a lot of energy, and, and uh, producing some offense. And uh, I guess I, you know, I could be, name more. I, I don't want to leave out anybody, but... Sure. Uh, 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 Jonah Wozlik, uh, assistant captain, fifth-year player, uh, he's been outstanding for us. Um, uh, he, him, along with Sean Christensen, Adam Henry, which is our our leadership core, they've been uh, been amazing in in, in their leadership. Uh, consistently high performance levels in games, practices, in the weight room. So those three guys have really, really done an amazing job leading our team uh, early in the season. I watched part of the uh, the first game against uh, Lethbridge uh, that weekend, and uh, one of the things that stood out to me was Riley Lamb. And boy, he gets his first uh, start in Canada West, and it's a shutout. Uh, I don't know that you can, yeah. you can really expect that, uh, but uh, boy, that's a nice way to make your uh, Canada West uh, debut. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. And and we're going to need good goaltending this year, hockey. And and Riley has uh, come in and. And has, as you said, he doesn't get better than that, the start he had. But he's been playing very well for us in the preseason. We also have Tyler Brown, a former Regina Pat Saskatoon Blade, who's coming off uh, a year where he had surgery. So he didn't play last year. So we're expecting some you know, good play from, from Tyler. But you know, he's got a little bit of catching up to do. And, and Jeremy Link had joined us from the Winnipeg Blues and Manitoba Junior Hockey League. So we feel we've got a, a trio of really good goaltenders. And, and that's got to be one of our keys to our success this year um we got a, we're a team with really good character like we've got good people good character people on our team and who work really hard and they play with grit and, and they're committed to playing good team defense plus we need solid goaltending so that's gonna those are the keys to success for us this year is is grit hard work uh solid team defense and good goaltending we're we're uh, let's say we don't have a lot of um explosive uh, offensive power We've got to win games two to one. Well, you're going into Calgary this weekend. I misspoke. You're not playing the Dinos. You're playing Mount Royal this weekend, uh, also down there. But tell me about right. that that matchup and, and uh, what you expect from the Cougars. Well, it's it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, uh, Mount Royal have a really good team. Uh, they're they're deep everywhere. They've got some uh, outstanding forwards. Uh, they had some really good additions this year with Keegan Iverson, who redshirted last year. Riley Lindgren is a really good player for him. Lee's a defenseman and and goaltending. So they're they're a real good team, and uh, you know, I feel they're going to be in the top three in our conference. So they're going to be a real tough opponent for us. But you know, we're coming off a um, um, weekend where we played NCAA opponents down in uh, North Dakota and Omaha, and uh, our guys perform really well. Uh, there's adjustment in North Dakota. Uh, they play at such a, a pace and such speed that it was adjustment for us. And unfortunately, we lost that game 5-1. Um, we need to learn you can't take penalties against those guys. They got four power like holes. So we certainly didn't help our cause. But once our guys got adjusted to the pace, the next uh, couple of days later, we played in Omaha, Nebraska and played very, very well. And they've got a good team in Omaha too. And, and, uh, uh, unfortunately, we lost in the shootout. So we're just coming off playing two real top-end teams, and 
and uh, our, our level rose, and we got to make sure we keep it going that way against Mount Royal. Um, the, the NCAA weekends are, are, are really important for our program uh, for a number of reasons. It's when you play opponents at that level, it's only going to make you better as individuals and as a team. So playing at a faster pace against really talented teams, uh, that's the type of competition you need to get better, to challenge yourself, to, to, to raise your bar. Plus, of course, the, uh, the, the facilities in, in both those cities are, are outstanding. Um, you know, first class facilities and, in Grand Forks, they had about 10,000 people, and it's just a really unique experience for our guys to go down and, and play in, in those type of environments for, for hockey and also personal development. Yeah, the the Ralph in uh, Grand Forks, the, the the nicest non-NHL building that I've ever been in in my life. Uh, it's uh, it's top notch for sure. Mike Sarant is the head coach of the University of uh, Manitoba Bisons, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, I wanted to expand on that uh, going south of the border and playing the uh, NCAA opponents. I know you play North Dakota every year. That's I mean geographically a nice little fit for uh, both of your fan bases and. The the other opponent that you'll play every year does that change up and, and how do you decide on on uh, who you're going to square off with? Well, it, it all depends on our calendar, what schedule. If we have a bye weekend, we usually try to get two games in. In the past, we played um, Grand Forks and Bemidji, mm-hmm. which is uh, fairly close to Grand Forks. But well, we started off playing. We had a, a run where we played against Omaha for several years in a row. We 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 kind of discontinued that for a while, but they invited us back last year and. Uh, you know, again, it was a good experience. Uh, the, the hospitality and the competition was, um, you know, first rate. So uh, we decided to go back there again this year. So you're right. Grand Forks, uh, University of North Dakota is our, our annual trip. And it varies depending on who we're going to play and uh, depending on our schedule, too. Um, now, I guess uh, one of the questions would be uh, why, and you touched on why there's importance to it. Do you care about the win-loss record? When's the last time you won one of those games? And I know... There are people south of the border who kind of look at U uh, Sport and say it's a you know a, a big step down from the NCAA, which I would disagree with. We just saw Alberta uh, split and actually beat the number one ranked team uh, south of the border, so we know U Sport is quality. At least uh, on this side of the border, we know that. But uh, when it comes to those exhibition games, do you treat it kind of like preseason and you're still learning about your team, or do you go there uh, intending to win those games? Well, both. Like we're 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 intending to win. Like we're playing to win. Uh, we also will will try to give um, you know, some of our players some. You know, like for example, we used uh, all three of our goaltenders in the two games down there. So right. it's still we're, we're we're playing to win. It's still about development, giving players uh, experience and and also evaluation too to see who can raise their game when uh, when the pace and, and the competition level increases. We haven't beaten North Dakota, uh, but, you know, that's that's not the point. Our, our guys had a, a great uh, great experience down there, and, and we're a better team for having had that opportunity to play them. And, uh, you know, last year we lost in um, in overtime, so, you know, we have had some, some close results against them. Excellent. Um, back home in Winnipeg, uh, now you're sharing a building with uh, the relocated Kootenai Ice, now the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, what's that relationship like uh, with uh, with that group? Uh, it's a fantastic partnership that's uh, benefiting both both groups. A um, uh, number of reasons. You know, first of all, the, uh, the Winnipeg Ice ownership, there's a group of Winnipeg people who are really committed to hockey and development here in our city. 
and uh, they want to make this franchise successful, so they're investing the money. Uh, they have a brand new practice facility, which they they do all their training and practicing out of, and they're going to be building a a 5,000 seat uh, arena adjacent to that practice facility. So they practice in their their training facility, but they play games on campus here. Uh, It it has no uh, conflict with us at all. It has not impacted our practice times or our game times. Uh, We do share our dressing room with them. If we're on the road, they're welcome to use our dressing room. And in return, this group, as I mentioned, are are really committed to making this franchise successful in Winnipeg. They invested almost $2 million into our building. Uh, And we got some, uh, let's say, long overdue improvements to our infrastructure and our arena. Um, All new glass, uh, uh, video scoreboard, uh, expanded seating. Uh, it just it needed uh, a good refurbishment, and and uh, through the partnership with the ICE, you know, we we realized that. But it goes beyond just the uh, the facilities and the infrastructure. Uh, we've got a really good relationship with the GM Matt Cockle, Winnipeger, and of course uh, James Patrick is also a Winnipeger, their head coach. And where we also hope to benefit is that the ICE graduating players, if they're not going to sign contracts of the American League of NHL that they'll stay here and play for the Bisons. Uh, we obviously are very aggressive in our recruiting and, and we look at recruiting Western Hockey League players um, and it, it's been a challenge not having a Western League team in our city for all these years. Having them right in our own backyard is no question helping us in scouting but also in that uh, connection to recruit the players from the ice to become Bisons in the future. Well, you led right into my next question because that's where I was going to go. I mean, Saskatchewan has uh, has the Saskatoon Blades right there and the Pats, obviously, in Regina uh, for that team. And Lethbridge has got a team, Calgary, Edmonton, all have WHL teams, so they have that um, that relationship well-established to this point. So I wondered if that was going to be something that you could explore. And, and quite honestly, the relationship between Canada West and, and U-Sport in general and the WHL and that scholarship package, um, I mean, it's it's a really strong partnership anyway, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it, it's a great opportunity for these guys if they don't get the the Western Hockey League graduate players, and um, you know that's where U Sports fits into the Canadian hockey model. We're an after junior league, like we're not competing with the Western League for players. Right. We would recruit their graduating players, and if they don't quite get the right pro deal at the time that they finish their Western League career. They can still come to Canada West and come to the University of Manitoba, start their education. It's paid for by the Western League Scholarship Fund. They also get scholarship money from us, and and they're going to still develop. Like we very much see our program, uh, and same with the other Canada West schools, as development programs where players can come to our program, continue to get better, and still receive pro opportunities in the future. Uh, just from last year's team with the Bisons, we had uh, – our goaltender, Byron Spriggs, go to the Manitoba Moose Camp of the American Hockey League and, and did really well. Uh, Cameron Nault uh, from the Bisons is still with the Moose. And we had Zach Frankel uh, go down to, I believe it was Charlotte in the American League, to their camp. And, you know, he, he might end up in the East Coast League. So we've got players who are going to the American League, to the East Coast League, and and several of our guys go overseas and play to Europe, uh, play in Europe. Our uh, captain, Brett Stowen, uh five-year player from um, Western Hockey League. He was captain of Saskatoon Blades before he came to the Bisons. Uh, he signed overseas in Europe and has, is having a, 
know, uh, an awesome experience over there, hockey and life as well. Do you see the quality of Canada West and U sport in general, the U sport hockey, just improving year after year? And because I, I think there's sort of the notion from a lot of casual, maybe NHL fans who look at U sport as maybe, well, that's the place where that uh, failed WHLers go to finish out their career. But like you said, it's a development league too, and you get five years of eligibility. You can continue to play high caliber hockey and go to the AHL or the ECHL or Europe after that. If there, I mean, there are some players who end up getting yeah. NHL deals too. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that. Hey, when I'm recruiting, I don't want to just want to finish off their career and and come here. Right. We want guys that are still driven to get better. They want to win, and they're still driven to get better and go on and play pro. That's the type of players we want. Guys who are driven to work hard and get better. And yes, I've seen the caliber of youth sports uh, improve every year. We're getting more Western League players in our conference who uh, maybe at one time would have gone to the East Coast Hockey League, but fewer of those players are going to the East Coast League. They'll come to youth sports first, and then they, they can go to the Coast or the American League or Europe, and some even to the NHL, as you mentioned. Right. So there's been a big change over the years where in the past those guys who were you know, kind of East Coast level would, would most likely go to the coast. Now they're utilizing their their uh, Western Hockey League scholarship package and recognizing this is great hockey. Like I was just talking to Liam Scholler. Our, I mentioned him as one of our recruits from uh, Regina Pats about how he's enjoying the hockey. And, and his comments are, this is great hockey. Like it's just, uh, um, it's underrated. Like people don't realize how good this hockey is. And I think people who come out and watch Canada West hockey for the first time, that's the common sentiment is, wow, we didn't, we didn't know how good this hockey was. And, yeah. and it is. It's fast. It's physical. It's intense. There's some very talented players in here, and, and they play hard. They play for the right reasons. They're not playing for money or for contracts. They're playing for passion and love of the game, and uh, it shows with how hard guys play in this league. And, and yeah, they still go on and want to develop and, and want to get pro opportunities. I mean, we, we have scouts out uh, uh, in our home opening game. We had scouts from the Winnipeg Jets at both games. Yeah. So uh, they're watching. And this is a league where you can still get noticed. Well, you're reading my mind again because that's where I was uh, going to wrap up with. Uh, you said it's underrated, and I I agree. I think uh, youth sport hockey is definitely underrated and, and maybe underappreciated by, by hockey fans. But I wondered how under-scouted it was by NHL teams. And I'm starting to get the impression that there's a lot more of them coming to games more often. Uh, and you just touched on it. You had guys uh, already at opening weekend. Yes, uh, I agree. It just seems that the NHL teams are investing more and more into scouting and getting more staff on. I mean, this is a trend that's been over, not just a recent trend, but it's been happening over the years. That the, You know, they're, they're getting huge... Uh, uh, investment in their players and drafts and they need to get it right. So they're investing in their scouting and they're adding more scouts and, and, uh, we are seeing certainly an increase in the number of scouts who are coming out to our games. Yeah. And impressed with the hockey too. Like I, long time, uh, NHL player, Winnipeg Jets, uh, star of Thomas Steen. This is going back a ways, mm-hmm. but, uh, he's now scouting for the Jets and I was chatting with him, um, after the game and, and he, he was really impressed. He, he didn't realize again, uh, how good the quality of this hockey in our league was. Yeah, I don't think uh, you don't have to go to Malmo anymore to find a, a good 23, 24-year-old. You can go to Manitoba uh, and do that. <laughs> there you go. Coach, I really appreciate your time. Uh, good luck this weekend against Mount Royal, and I uh, hope we can chat again. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on, and uh, we appreciate your interest in 
the Manitoba Bisons and in youth sports hockey. Mike Sorant, head coach of the Manitoba Bisons uh, here on the Pipeline Show as we continue to uh, get more familiar with uh, Canada West and youth sport hockey in general. I think next week perhaps we'll uh, head out east to the AUS, but uh, don't have concrete plans on that just yet. But the uh, Bisons are in action this weekend against uh, Mount Royal, uh, taking on the Cougars. Notice the Cougars, there's two Cougars in uh, Canada West. There's only eight teams. Two of them share a name, Mount Royal and Regina, both uh, called the Cougars. What is this, the CFL? Come on! Drives me a little bit batty with uh, all the NCAA teams that have uh, the same uh, nicknames as well, but uh, what are you going to do? That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to all four guests that you heard from this week, and thanks to their reps, uh, their media contacts for each team for helping set up those interviews. Next week on the show, I actually, as of right now, don't have any concrete plans uh, in terms of which guests I'm going to be lining up. So in Canada, Monday is a holiday, so this weekend's a, uh, a long weekend, uh, but it will be a busy one. The uh, Oil Kings in action uh, twice this weekend, and in case uh, for those who are outside of the uh, the Edmonton market, uh, big news here locally, uh, Corey Graham back on the uh, broadcast for the home games. Uh, he had to sit out all of last year after uh, massive back surgery uh, and is still uh, not capable of going on the road just yet with the team, but uh, eager to get back in the booth. So he's going to be doing play-by-play at home. Andrew Peard will still be doing play-by-play on the road. Uh, and because the station uh, doesn't want to have uh, three guys, well, I'm, I get the short straw, unfortunately, for me. So I won't be on the broadcast for the rest of this season, uh, except sporadically, here and there. I'm still going to do color on the road, like in Red Deer. And uh, in case one of those two guys is sick or something like that, I'll, I'll be filling in. So I, I'll still be around. Uh, but the, uh, the bigger story here is Corey Graham back in the booth. Andrew Peard will be doing uh, my job uh, for the home games and uh, Corey's job on the road. Uh, but I will be at the both games this weekend. Calgary and Portland are in town, and who knows, might have a conversation with somebody from one of those two teams uh, that I can share with you next week. Uh, we'll have a, a 2020 draft spotlight segment, an NCAA campus report, obviously a CHL insider, and uh, so lots to get to, I'm sure, next week. But uh, as of right now, don't have a, a, an official uh, game plan just yet. Thanks to everybody who signed up on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, patreon.com slash the pipeline show. It's where you can find this show on Patreon. And uh, for two bucks a month, you can have early access to all of these interviews. You know, I might do an interview on Tuesday uh, and then half an hour later, it's up on the Patreon page. As soon as I'm able to edit it and put it together, uh, you can hear it. And then the show comes out on Friday or sometimes on a Saturday. Uh, But uh, patrons have early access to uh, all of those interviews sometimes for three or four days before the full show comes out so if that would interest you then i would encourage you to go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show and uh, sign up i really appreciate everybody who has done that and there's been a lot of people who have signed up here over the last two or three months uh, which i'm grateful for well that's it for uh, today's show between now and next week make sure you get out watch some junior or college hockey so that you and i can talk about it next week here on the pipeline show until then my name is Keith flaming see ya